in that dedication, um, there were some words that I read, and they are a quote from Jesus. And, and you heard me say this. This comes from Matthew 19, 14. And I want you to hear these words again as we go into this message today and as we continue our time of Advent, these four weeks that lead us up to Christmas, right? So I want you to hear these words, and I want to begin with these words. And this is such a great tie-in today. It's really amazing. Um, it was a few weeks ago that Lindsay came to me, and she said, would it be okay if I, you know, dedicate, you know, if we dedicate Jacob? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And she said, well, I mean, is there a certain day that would work? I said, you, you pick whatever day you want. And she said, well, how about December 10? Is that too close to Christmas? And I was like, no, that's perfect. That would be awesome. That'd be so great. And then I sat down this week, and I was preparing everything, and I thought, well, this dedication, you know, is a huge part of what we're doing today. And then I looked at the text that we were going to be talking about that comes from the lectionary, which is this collection of texts that churches all around the world are looking at during this time of the season. And as I read through the text and I started looking at the dedication, I just saw this interconnectedness between the two. And it was incredible the illustration that this dedication gives for us as we enter this time of Advent. I mean, it is absolutely amazing. Now, we talked last week that when we enter Advent— what we're doing is we're trying to enter ourselves into the story. We, we don't want to be simply counting down till Christmas and feeling like, well, these are like four weeks that just kind of get us there. And we just sort of want to rush there and get in a hurry and we're kind of running to Christmas. So, you know, sometimes we get to Advent, we sort of think of them like, oh, we get like bonus Christmas. So we get like four weeks of bonus Christmas that takes us to the real Christmas. But instead, what we want to do is we want to think of these four weeks as expectation. We want to think of these four weeks as preparing us for Christmas. And what that means is it means entering the story. It means coming into it and, and almost trying to hear it for the very first time. Um, the other night, uh, I think maybe it was last night, my wife was talking with her parents who are here with us today, and they were discussing going to see Home Alone in the theater. And I said, you know, it's so funny to think about because we all, I mean, everybody, somebody watch Home Alone Christmas, right? I mean, everybody watches Home Alone Christmas, right? And one of the things about it, I said, you know, is you kind of know what's coming, you know that these scenes are about to take place, and you know that at some point you're getting to the payoff of the movie, which is really all the robbers getting hurt, right? That's the payoff of the movie. You get through Kevin being Kevin, and there's some good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, I want to see some guys hit with paint cans, right? I want to see some guys stepping on nails. I want to see some guys slipping on ice, getting really, really hurt. That's what I want to see, right? You know that's why you watch the movie. Come on, and you're laughing at that part. But here's what I want to think about. Imagine watching that movie for the very first time, and going in the theater, and sitting down, and I don't think about this because I never saw it in the theater, and imagine that you get to that part of the movie. I mean, the, movie, the theater's probably losing their minds, right? Like, they haven't seen stuff like this before, and this is a kid-friendly movie, so your kids are there, and they're laughing. I mean, the whole theater's probably absolutely busting a gut, but it's hard. When you get to Christmas, it is hard to watch those Christmas movies and get back into that mindset of feeling like you're seeing it for the very first time. And that's a problem with adulthood. Our kids are really good at this. I mean, this is why our kids can watch the same movie over and over and over and over and over, right? Jacob is going to be like this too. As he grows up, he's going to pick a favorite movie, Mickey Mouse, right now. And he can watch the same one over and over and over again. There's something about them. They reset. They're able to get back into the story. And as adults, we just have a really hard time doing this. And so I think... At Christmas, I think at Easter, I think as we follow the story of faith, 
I think it's hard for us to reset our minds like we're hearing it for the first time. So my challenge to you, and the challenge I've given myself this year, is to enter it like I'm experiencing this for the first time. I'm hearing what the expectation was of the people. I'm putting myself in the story of the people, as we talked about last week, that were waiting for the Messiah to come and feeling that tension, that, that feeling of that nobody was counting down for Jesus to be placed in a manger. They didn't know when it was going to happen. And so the celebration is new. What happened in my life? What happened in my children's life? What happened 10 generations now? And imagine being in that generation when that takes place. And people are beginning to tell the story. The Messiah has come, the excitement of that moment. And that's really what we get into. We get into this idea of newness, of hope, of expectation, of hearing it for the very first time. Now, all of this has to do with this dedication. I want to tell us why. Let's go back to Matthew 19, 14, to these words of Jesus. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Now, in the context of this, we know is that Jesus was teaching and these parents started bringing their kids. They just started showing up and they start walking over and they're trying to get Jesus to bless their kids. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's a spiritual leader. Would you bless my kid? Would, would, would you bless his life? And so they're trying to bring these kids, and the disciples are, are great police. They kind of stand around, and they're like, oh, I don't think so. Excuse me. No, 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 no. This is, this is adult time. Uh, this is Jesus teaching time. You're going to have to wait over there. Maybe Jesus will see you in a few minutes. And I love this because Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he turns it into a teaching moment. And really, it's a teaching moment for all of us. If you are cynical about the next generation, you got to drop it now. You have to see the hope of those to come. Because Jesus looks at these kids, let them come. Let the little children come to me. And think about this. It's almost like in this moment, it's like Jesus is saying, my teaching can wait. This can, this can wait a second. You'll be fine. There's something more important here, and that's this. Let the little children come to me. Don't, don't hinder them. Don't stop them. Don't get in their way. They can come straight on up here. And then this is the key, and this is so huge that Jesus says this. Listen, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So Jesus, I mean, this, guys, this is such a huge statement. Huge statement. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, Jesus was talking about things to come, coming into this world. It's about what God was going to do and is doing through Jesus, bringing his grace and his mercy and his love into this world in this present time. I heard somebody talking recently, a scholar and a theologian, who said that uh, you used to, when you got to a new time zone, you used to take your watch and you used to set the time to get into that time zone, right? When he talked about the kingdom of God, he said the kingdom of God is like that. That when you become a follower of Jesus, you reset your clock to his eternal time because you are now living in that reality. We are people 
of eternal love, eternal grace, eternal mercy, eternal hope, dragging and pulling that into this world as we follow Jesus because Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection announces that kingdom. He pulls it in. We are a part of this world, but we are also a part of that time to come. And he says, you get to live in this incredible in-between of a kingdom that is not yet, but is yet to come. And he says, and as you live that out, this world begins to change. Live like the end is here. Live like his love and his mercy and his grace has fully arrived. That is the kingdom of God. And then here's what's amazing about this, is Jesus thought about this. He looks at these kids and he said, and that kingdom belongs to them. He looked at them and he said, these will be the bearers of that kingdom. These will be the ones who will bring peace and hope and mercy and life. He is saying that it is present and found in them. And do you see what kind of hope that that takes? Did you see why we invest so much in our kids? Because we believe in our children is found the hope of the good news of Jesus. What we have gotten wrong, we look at them and we say, they're going to get it right. We, we believe that God is working through them. Already, this is their church. God is already moving, working through them, bringing his grace and his love into this mercy, into this world in a way you can never even begin to imagine. So which is why I say, if you are cynical, and you see kids, if you're cynical about the next generation, as a follower of Jesus, that's one of those things you got to put down. Because as followers of Jesus, we look to the next generation with hope. We look to the next generation as the ones who will bring the kingdom of God because it belongs to them. How cool is that? I mean, that is absolutely amazing. Now, in one of Jesus' prayers, you probably, probably remember this, he says that we're supposed to pray in a certain way, right? He says we should pray like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We've said that before. He is saying, your will, your way, what you desire in this world as it is in heaven. That is hope. And so tie that together now. Bring that together. Look at these children and say, God, may your will be done through Jacob's life, through our children's lives. As it is in heaven, may it be done on this earth through us and through them. It is a powerful reminder here. So listen again to these words. Let the children, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So bottom line, we see the hope of who Jacob will be. We see the hope of who all of our children will be because Jesus saw the hope of who they would be as they participate in the kingdom of God. And that's why we do dedications. Because Lindsay, you have an incredible hope for Jacob's life. And every one of us is responsible to have that same hope for him. You are a part and he is a part of this family. And so we look to him with the hope of who he will become. And I love to think about that. 
See, I think about that every Sunday night as we sit with our youth group. Who are these kids going to become? Who could they be? It's why they always have a presence. You see kids serving, playing bass, serving in the kids' ministry, doing all kinds of, dressing up as elves yesterday, right? Being a part of what we're doing because we look at them and say, who could they be? I remember some one time, a long time ago, somebody looked at me and said, you could be a pastor. That changed the trajectory of my life. What would happen if we looked at our kids and said, who could you become? What could you do? And actually put that kind of hope in them. And that's the hope that Jesus put in these children. Now, here's what's cool. Hope in children is a huge huge part of the story of Christmas. The hope of the Messiah was fulfilled in an absolutely unexpected way. Jesus was born, placed in a manger, and all of this hope was placed upon him, looking to him and saying, all of the hope of this world is placed in this child. This is why every time Mary Did You Know plays on the radio, I go, yes, she knew. And then he asked the question, Mary, did you know? Yes, she actually did know. That song drives me crazy. She knew. She knew. So, so the next time that plays in a store, I just want you to walk around and go, you know, you're Mary, did you know? You go, yes. Yes, she knew. And she had all this hope in this child. The, the shepherds that show up had all this hope in this baby. The wise men that show up months probably later show up and they, they look and they say, all of this hope is placed upon this child. But Jesus wasn't the only baby, wasn't the only child that there was hope placed upon. There was hope also placed upon his cousin John. And these two children, the hope of these two kids is all tied up together in this Advent story in the story of their births. And we see this as we continue today to look at the Advent story. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, where we see some of this story taking place. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And really what it's saying there is these are some important people. These, these people come from a line of priests. They have a very important role to play. Uh, they, they, were, they were a big part of what was happening in Israel and in the faith. It says, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now, there is, a, there is a snippet here that's fascinating. It says they did all the right things. They followed God's law. Man, they were, they were great people. But they went through some stuff. They had a difficult time. And it sort of echoes some stuff that Jesus would tell later, which was uh, something that happens in the ancient world, something that happens in our world is that we tend to look, we tend to blame circumstances and say, well, maybe I'm being punished in some way, or maybe God has done this to me because of something I had done. And this right here is saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. Sometimes difficult circumstances take place. 
And, and what the story then tells us is God is not only with you in that story, he is walking with you through the story. And he is able to take those circumstances and turn them into something you cannot even begin to imagine. So, so just, just hold on. So now put yourself in that mindset. Everybody here has something big going on. Everybody here has something in their life where they have an unexpected difficulty, a circumstance that you are wrestling through. First of all, number one, God is with you. God didn't do that to you. God is walking with you through this. And then begin to think to yourself, how can God take this story and redeem and restore and renew and, and do something that unexpected, I can't even begin to imagine. That's the tension here. So it goes on, it says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot. So he, he was chosen by maybe straws or some kind of way that they had that they chose who was going to get to uh, do, do this particular ritual. And it said, according to the custom of the priesthood, uh, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So there's all these priests and they're all like, do I get to be the guy? Do I get to be the guy? Do I get to be the guy who does this? And somebody says, well, how are we going to figure this out? And, you know, they do something that none of us would do today. They're like, well, if, I don't know, like pick some straws. Let's see who gets it. And so they pick the straw. Zechariah gets to do it. So when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is incredible. So Zechariah goes in. Everybody's waiting for what's going to happen. Uh, there's all kinds of stories about what this looks like, but people are sort of waiting to see. Uh, this is a huge deal. And then listen, listen what happens to Zechariah in this moment. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, which we all say, yes, if I saw an angel standing, I would do the same thing. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and, and, and it goes on. And what this is saying is John is going to be born. Uh, he is going to become one of these people that sort of sits within the context of the Hebrew scriptures that these people who kind of pop up, that it talks about that are, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They do incredible things through God's work in their life. Some of them take vows where they say they won't drink fermented drinks. Some of them have grown their hair really long and will never cut it. Some of these, and you've read about these people in the scriptures. And John is being, it's being told to Zechariah, John is going to be like that. John is going to be special. John has a role to play. And all that we know that Zechariah knows so far is he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll be one of these people that takes this vow. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Uh, he will bring many people of Israel back to the Lord their God. This is all that he knows he's going to do. goes on, it says, When Zechariah's time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor, taken away my disgrace among the people. So his promises have come true. 
And Zechariah comes back and he sees the promise begin to take place. Who is John going to be? What is this going to happen? And all of a sudden this hope, this hope is building before this child is even born. Can you imagine Zechariah as Elizabeth walks around pregnant in the house? And he's like, that's my boy. He is already filled. Think about this. He is already filled with the Holy Spirit in that womb. This is awesome. Like he's sitting back. I mean, he's like, you know, he's talking to his friends, and they're like, "How you doing?" (laughs) Well, my kid is John. Let me tell you about John. Right? Then he goes on, and listen. I want you to see the connections that take place. This is so amazing. It says, "In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy." God sent an angel then to uh, Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, What kind of greeting is this? But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive, you will give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? How will this be? All of it? How will his kingdom never end? How, how, will, how will he have the throne? How does this take place? I mean, she, I don't think she's just simply asking, how do I become pregnant? I think she's asking, how is this going to happen? How can this child become who you are talking about this child being? She says, I am just a poor woman from a small town in the middle of nowhere with no special connections. And you're telling me that I'm going to have a baby who is going to become a king of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom will never end. How is that going to take place? Oh, she knew. She knew something special was taking place. Now, I love what happens here. So the angel answered. He reassures her. He gives her some logistic questions that maybe she is having some logistic concerns. He says this. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Holy Spirit, sorry, excuse me, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her. So so listen listen to what she does here. So she's asking all these questions. She gets to the end. She goes back. She gets this logistics question. She says, how is this going to take place? And she does say, since I am a virgin, how does that, how is this supposed to work? This seems kind of crazy. She's asking these questions and she says, and I think there's a lot tied into that. I mean, I mean, I don't understand. This is, this is heavy. This is a lot. And I love what that angel did. The angel looks at her and says, well, well, listen, here's how it's going to happen. Here's here's your answers. But I also want to reassure you, you're not alone. Your cousin is walking this with you. Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. He's like, by the way, There's already a miracle taking place. There's already something cool taking place. You're not alone. She's even ahead of you on this journey. She can walk with you through this. Then he says, for no word from God will ever fail. 
Mary answers, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And I love what happens next. As soon as the angel left, Mary went to see Elizabeth. She didn't have a phone. She couldn't text or call. She does the greatest thing. She does a pop-in. And I think what happens next is so cool. It says, at that time, Mary got ready, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, this is like my friend Gabe. Lives down the street. He told me, we have a pop-in relationship. Our door is always open to each other. I'm allowed to go through the garage, pop in through the kitchen and go, hey, and just announce myself and hope that I'm not walking into something crazy, right? Like this is just kind of the world. And we kind of have the same thing. Like we want to have that relationship, kind of like the George Costanza or the Kramer relationship where you just pop open the door and you just walk in. Does anybody have a friendship like that? Those are the greatest friendships. And I think Mary has that kind of friendship. She hears this news and she's like, well, I'm not going to write a letter. You know, she didn't have a phone. She can't call. She can't text. And she said, I'm going to do a pop-in. And she gets out and she gets over there as quick as she can. I don't know what that looks like, but she gets there. She pops open the door and she's like, hey, how's it going? She hurries over there. She enters the home and she greets Elizabeth. And I love this. Listen, listen guys. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, I don't know where she was. Look, I don't know if she was in a courtyard. I don't know if she was in a back room. I don't know where she was, but she hears it. She hears Mary go, I'm here. And listen what it says happens. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She's sitting there and this baby's like, whoa! You know, and she jumps up and, she, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. How cool is this? So, so John is filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets excited. He's apparently jumping in the womb, having, you know, the most incredible kicks of all time, apparently. She's probably popping up and she looks like she's filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever this is looking like. And there's excitement taking place in this moment. In a loud voice, she said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. So she knows what's happening. She knows the story is taking place. She says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So, so she knew too. She says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. And this is every promise. This is the promise that they would have babies. This is the promise that the Messiah would come. This is the promise that his kingdom was here. This is the promise that redemption and rescue and renewal of this world would take place. This is the reminder and the promise that his grace and his mercy and his love that everybody had waited for was going to take place. And all of this is happening among these two women who are sitting here looking at each other going, I can't believe this is taking place. And they are placing hope in the wombs in these two children that are going to be born, that are going to change the world. Now, the story in the Bible sort of reads like a musical, and I want you to read it like this. Next week, we're going to read Mary's song of response as she bounces out into, into song response. But a few verses after her response is the song from Zechariah, John's dad, who we read about in the beginning of the sermon today. I love this. He's sitting back. He's in an ancient Near East recliner. He's watching the scene taking place. There weren't Near Eastern, ancient Near East uh, recliners, by the way, but just imagine this for a minute. 
He's in his recliner, sitting back. He's watching the Bethlehem Braves taking on, I don't know. Anyways, he's, he's watching the scene take place. And then he responds. And I love this. I just love this. He says, praise be to the Lord. <laughs> just for a minute, just think about this. The story is these two women, and they're just, they're just so excited. Look what God is doing. And I love that Zechariah is sitting back, and he's looking at this, and he has his moment. I just imagine him sort of, have you ever, do you ever know somebody that used to just grab the side of their chair? My dad used to just grab the side of his chair, and he'd get excited, he'd pop that thing up, and the chair would slam, and you're like, don't break the chair. You know, he jumps out of that chair as fast as he can. You've seen, you know this, right? You have this relative. I think this is, I think this is Zechariah. I think he's sitting back, he sees what's happening, he pops that thing and he jumps up and he starts to sing and you put whatever melody you want with this, be it Queen or Tupac, whatever makes you happy. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then Zechariah quoted the book of Isaiah with this part of the song, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high God. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. He saw the connections taking place. He finally sees who John is going to be. His son is going to be so special because he is going to become the one who goes before the Lord and prepares the way for Jesus. And he's like, man, I knew my son was bringing people back. I did not know my son was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he is so excited. And all of his hope is placed in these two children. Zechariah saw hope. He saw what was to come. He believed. Now, after his song, the author gives us some narration to tell us what's happening. It says this. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And that's exactly what happened. And it takes us to our text. This is the lectionary text for today, and then we'll close. In Mark 1, we read the rest of the story. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made out of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey and his dad was proud of him. That's my, my addition to it. And this was his message, this crazy guy. I mean, this guy, people probably looked at him and said, what is he doing? 
He's eating locusts and honey. He's got camels. He's got this belt on. He's baptizing people in this room. Who is this guy? But this was his message. This was the message, the hope that was placed in him when he was in the womb. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to hear something here as we close up. This is so cool. Do, do, do you hear what John says? John says, this one is coming. He, he, he is a king. He is worthy of worship. I, I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his shoes. I, I'm not worthy to wash his feet. Guys, Jesus would eventually wash the feet of his disciples. Jesus that he's talking about who is so, he blew John's expectations away as Jesus served. As Jesus told us, you are worthy of my kingdom. As he washes feet, welcomes us in to the community of his people. I mean, it's just amazing to see what happens here. If we continue reading, look what happens next in this. And I'm going to add a couple of verses here. In verse 9, it starts at this. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. So John grew up and prepared the way for Jesus. Even as a child, he knew the Savior of the world was being born. That baby would grow up, would show us the way, give us life, and be the Savior of the world. That king who was born, who came to die so that we may live. And it's an incredible story of promise. And it's the story that we have been invited into. And as we ask this, as we look at the story, then we ask, what will take place? What will happen here? In what ways will God continue to work. And so what I want us to do as we enter this second week of Advent is, first, I want us to enter this story. I want us to see the hope that is placed in John, the hope that is placed in Jesus as these children, just like we see these children today, who will they grow up? Who will they become? Now, our hope is that they will follow Jesus that they will follow this child who was born, who became a king, that would die and give his life for us so that we may have life and mercy and grace and all the eternal reality of his love present in this world today, that we would live like that, that our kids would live like that. But there's another promise that we also see in this then, is that if we see the hope in who they may become, that means that we need to look at our lives and realize no matter how old we are, no matter what is our past, no matter where we have come from, that God is continuing to do things in our lives that we cannot even begin to imagine. That God can take our lives and that we can have hope about what is to come. So we place our hope in these kids who are behind us, our kids who are over here, the kids who are still in this place with us today, and we also are then reminded to put our hope in our own lives that God can take us and change our lives. And that as we follow Jesus, 
that just like our children, who the kingdom belongs to such as these, the kingdom belongs to you and to you and to you and to you. And his grace and his mercy and his love and his peace can reign through your heart as you give your life to him. And there is no room. There's no room in there. When we put ourselves first, we put our fear first, we put our guilt first, what we want to put first is his grace, his love, his mercy. Put Jesus first and imagine what can change. So do you have hope in yourself? Do you have hope in what Jesus can do? Do you have hope in what he will do in and through you and this community and our kids? That's putting our hope in the kingdom of God. That is entering the story of this Christmas. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for these stories. We come back to year after year, but help us to be reminded anew. Help us to see the way that you want to work in and through us. Help us to see uh, that hope that we should have. That hope that we see. The hope that was the announcement that Jesus had come. The hope that we have that Jesus will come again. But that hope that we have that as we follow him, that we will live out his kingdom in this world. And that hope we have that he can change our lives. Change the lives of those around us. Change our world. Through his goodness and through his grace and through his mercy. God, for those of us here today. Some of us are still sitting back wondering if there is any hope for us. God, I ask today that we would set that aside, that we would accept the gift of Jesus today and simply say, I choose to follow. I choose to follow Jesus and the hope of his life and his death and his resurrection and his Holy Spirit poured out and living in my life. I choose to believe. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this advent, this time of expectation and waiting, this time of hope. May we continue to enter the story and continue to prepare our hearts for Christmas. It's your name that we pray today. Amen.